This is the Martin Luther Sermon Podcast, and today we've got Martin Luther's sermon on the text, John 16, verses 23 to 30, preached on Rogate, the fifth Sunday after Easter. I'm Pastor Brian Wolfmuller of Hope Lutheran Church in Aurora, Colorado. To hear more Luther sermons or learn more about the Luther Sermon Podcast, please visit our website at www.hope-aurora.org. This sermon is from Martin Luther's House Postal, reading from a translation published by J.A. Schulze, publisher in Columbus, Ohio, in 1884, a text that is in the public domain. First, the Gospel reading, John 16, verses 23 to 30. Jesus said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Whatsoever ye shall ask the Father in my name, he will give it you. Hitherto have ye asked nothing in my name, ask, and ye shall receive, that your joy may be full. These things I have spoken unto you in Proverbs, but the time cometh when I shall no more speak unto you in Proverbs, but I shall show you plainly of the Father. At that day ye shall ask in my name, and I say not unto you that I will pray the Father for you, for the Father himself loveth you, because ye have loved me, and have believed that I came out from God. I came forth from the Father, and am come into the world. Again I leave the world, and go to the Father." His disciples said unto him, Lo, now speakest thou plainly, and speakest no proverb. Now we are sure that thou knowest all things, and needest not that any man should ask thee. By this we believe that thou camest forth from God. Luther's Sermon In the Gospel today we have, as you, my beloved, have just heard, an exhortation to prayer. To pray is a part of Christian worship secondary only to the preaching of the word. This exhortation to prayer was made by the Lord at the supper of the same evening on which he told his disciples while sitting with them at the table, as we saw in the sermon of two weeks ago, that he would depart from them, that they would be sad, but that in a little while he would see them again, and that when their sorrow would be turned into joy. With this promise, the Lord combines the admonition to prayer, as is contained in our text, And indeed, the connection of the two is very obvious. For the Christian has no other resort or comfort in sorrow and tribulation than to pray earnestly and constantly to his heavenly Father for help. The Lord would teach us in the words of our gospel, as he did his disciples then, never to forget prayer in the hour of distress. To encourage them to this, he adds the comforting declarations, And I say not unto you that I will pray the Father for you, for the Father himself loveth you, because ye have loved me, and have believed that I came out from God. It is true, Christ sitteth at the right hand of the Father and intercedes for us, as the Apostle says. Therefore we know that his intercession for us, both on the occasion of the Last Supper and afterwards upon the cross, has been effective and will continue to be so until the end of time. But ye need not my intercession in your behalf, says Christ, for you yourselves have access to the Father with your prayers, and ought not to doubt that they are heard. For the Father himself loveth you, because ye have loved me. Yet from this, it does not follow that the intercession of Christ is not of importance and full of comfort unto us, but simply this is meant, that we should have assurance respecting our own prayers, because we love Christ. It is God's will, and we ought ever to know and remember it, that they who love Christ and trust in him are beloved of the Father and will be heard by him. It is therefore evident that the godless papists lie when they direct us to trust in the intercession of the saints. 
This exhortation and invitation to prayer by the Lord himself is conciliatory beyond measure. Our Lord and Savior Christ made it possible for us, by his death and departure from this world, to the Father, to have free access unto God, whether we be in church or at home, in the cellar or in the kitchen, in the field or in the workshop, yea, if we are Christians and love Christ, we can, under all circumstances of life, come with our prayer unto our Heavenly Father and pour out our hearts before Him. All that is necessary for such prayer is for the heart to exclaim, Father in heaven, I know Thou lovest me because I love Thy dear Son, my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Wherefore I come with my request to thee in confidence and assurance, not indeed because I am good or righteous, but because I know that for the sake of thy Son, Jesus Christ, thou wilt accept me and give me all that I need. In his name now I appear before thee and pray, fully convinced that thou wilt not consider my unworthiness, but wilt graciously hear my prayer. It would be a serious mistake for the Christian to refrain from prayer until he could deem himself worthy and fit for it, the devil frequently troubled me with thoughts such as these. I am not now ready to pray. I ought first to attend to this or that and afterward perform my prayer undisturbed. If we indulge such thoughts which hinder and prevent prayer, we will always find something new in the way, and in the end will be entirely prayerless. The devil, with his cunning tricks, constantly endeavors to keep us away from prayer. We must therefore be prepared to meet his opposition in this regard, and when trouble comes, we should know that now is the proper time for prayer. If we are not worthy to pray, God will make us so. He loves us for Christ's sake and not on account of our own worthiness or righteousness, for we have none. This we fully believe. Christ, in the words of our text, would urge us on to prayer, that we might not be like those prayerless wicked people who, as they declare, eat and drink with much relish, though they have not prayed for a week. If we are Christians, or desire to be such, we must shun such brutish conduct. Let us, at least, pray in the morning when we arise from sleep, at the table, and again in the evening when we go to bed, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, etc. It is our duty as Christians to pray without ceasing, if not aloud, which is sometimes impossible, at least in our hearts. It should at all times be the earnest desire of all believing hearts that God's name be hallowed, that his kingdom come and his will be done on earth also that he may grant peace to the country, favorable weather, health, and the like. Every true Christian wishes for such blessing every day of his life, even if he does not always give expression to his desires. Such prayer is true, earnest, and spiritual. We stand constantly in need of it on account of the great dangers which ever surround the Christian on all sides, so that we are never safe from the devil, from our flesh and blood, from sin and shame. But oral prayer must not be neglected. It ought to accompany these silent utterances of the heart. Christ teaches us here of what kind such prayer should be. He says, Ye shall ask the Father in my name, and again, The Father himself loveth you, because ye have loved me, and have believed that I came out of, from God. Whosoever believeth in Christ is a real priest, with all priestly honors and dignity, so that he can assuredly come with his prayer unto God and ask for help in reference to his own want or that of his fellow man, saying unto him, Lord, I stand in need of this and my brother of that. Grant us our prayer and give us what we need for the sake of Christ, thy beloved Son. The times into which we now live are full of distress, 
and well calculated on account of the daily sorrow which they bring, to teach us the importance of prayer. But if we but heeded the lesson and were more instant in prayer, it would be well for us. For indeed the devil, that liar and murderer, is very busy. He endeavors to crush out the word of God with his falsehoods and strives to arouse seditions through the land with murder and rapine. The Pope and the Turk and other tyrants are all fiercely opposed to the word so that we all have enough public calamity to urge us on to prayer, even if our own private sorrow would not do it. Yea, there are causes enough within us and around us to convince us of the great necessity of prayer. If we are perplexed amid so great a variety of complaints, sorrows, and wants which demand our prayer, let us make good use of the Lord's Prayer with its seven petitions, which include everything for which we ought to pray. In the first petition, Hallowed be thy name, we pray for all faithful preachers, but against all heretics and unbelievers, also against the Jews, the heathens, the Turk, and the Pope, for these blaspheme and abuse the name of God. We pray God to resist these, his enemies, and to grant us pious preachers who will proclaim his word in its purity to overthrow all heresy. In the second petition, Thy kingdom come, we pray that the kingdom of death and the devil may fall. This is a very comprehensive petition. It deals with the entire domain of Satan and requests God to make an end to it and to establish in us and others his own kingdom by means of his word and the Holy Ghost. In the third petition, Thy will be done on earth as it is done in heaven, we pray that every will opposed to the good and gracious will of God may be prevented in its execution. The devil and the wicked are wroth against this petition. It prevents much calamity, which they would cause every day of our life if it were not for this prayer. In the fourth petition, give us this day our daily bread. We pray for those in authority, for our parents, for our family, for the necessary food and the fruits of the field, for peace and all things pertaining to the support of our life, also that God would bless each one in his vocation and protect him mercifully from all harm. In the fifth petition, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. We pray that God would be merciful to and avert from us his well-merited wrath, that he would not punish us on account of our sins, but bestow on us his grace that we may become better from day to day, do his will, and live peaceably with our fellow men ready to forgive one another our trespasses. In the sixth petition, lead us not into temptation. We pray that God would cheer with his consolation all afflicted hearts and rescue them from their sorrows through his word and the Holy Spirit, thus thwarting the intention and power of the devil. In the seventh petition, deliver us from evil. We pray for a peaceful departure from this world of misery and for a happy entrance through the mercy of God into heaven above. Thus we see how beautifully everything that we possibly need is included in the Lord's Prayer. Its petitions contain nothing of which we do not have need of every day of our life. Wants we have plenty, first those of a public nature, then those which are private and pertain to each one's household and vocation. Therefore we have reason enough to pray, and if we do not, our negligence and unbelief is to blame. We have the distinct command to pray, as well as the promise that our prayer shall be heard. Christ even gives us of his own accord a proper form of expressing our wishes before God. This form is the Lord's Prayer, of which we have just spoken. We must confess that we are poor sinners, unworthy to appear before God and to converse with him, and that we have no claim whatever upon his kindness. 
This is most certainly true. But in order that this conviction might not discourage us or prevent us from praying, Christ says here explicitly that we should pray in his name and adds, Whatsoever ye shall ask the Father in my name, he will give it you. Here we are taught that the whole service of prayer and supplication must rest upon Christ. Therefore every prayer not made in the name of Jesus is no true prayer nor a service before God. The prayer of the monk, that God would be merciful to him on account of the merits, fastings, and devotions of St. Francis or St. Dominic or of any other saint, is no prayer at all, but only fruitless babbling. For it is not offered up in the name of Christ, but in that of poor, miserable mortals. Similar is the prayer of the heathens, of the Turks, of the Jews, yea, of all the papists. They refuse to pray in the name of Christ alone and add that of the Virgin Mary, of the apostles and other saints. God does not accept such idolatrous prayer. It is not efficacious. Even if they obtain what they request in such prayers, it is no blessing unto them, and it would be much better for them if their wishes had not been realized. Christians do not pray in their own name. They know what appellation belongs to them according to the Scripture, namely, children of wrath and liars. Therefore they are ashamed to make use of their own name when they pray unto God. But because they know that God is merciful in Christ, and because they have the command to pray in Jesus' name, therefore they are bold to come to God and to make known their requests, although they know themselves not to be naught but poor sinners. They venture to say, Our Heavenly Father, we, thy children, need now this, now that. Be merciful and remember not against us our iniquities, but look upon Christ thy Son, our Savior. In his name we now approach thee, therefore hear our prayer. When our supplication is thus made entirely in the name of Christ, it is acceptable and will be heard. It is yea and amen in Christ. This knowledge ought to make us ready and quick to prayer. For we are told that what we pray in the name of Jesus shall penetrate the heavens, even to the throne of God, who will grant our requests. To this promise, Christ adds the following words. Hitherto have ye asked nothing in my name. That is to say, thus far the disciples depended upon him, as people sometimes depend on their priests whom they expect to pray for them, thinking that they themselves need not do it. But this shall hereafter be changed, Christ says, Ask, and ye shall receive, that your joy may be full. This injunction we ought diligently to consider, that we may act in accordance with it. Sorrow, tribulation, and depression will come. If we would overcome these, we must pray as Christ commands, and believe that what we ask in his name shall be granted to us, if consistent with the glory of God and serviceable to our soul's salvation. One thing we lack, as St. Paul remarks, we know not what to ask for, nor how to ask. Hence it happens that people often pray to God for relief from this or that tribulation without obtaining the relief implored, for God knows better than we do what is proper and good for us. St. Paul prayed to God to take from him his tribulation, but is answered, 2 Corinthians 12, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Thus it happens to us. We sometimes desire to be exempt from this or that suffering, but God sees what is beneficial for us and does not remove the burden from our shoulders, else we would become overbearing, proud, and careless. Ere we therefore pray for our daily bread, we should say, Lord, thy will be done. Christ himself at the Mount of Olives prays thus, Father, not my will, but thine be done. We should always pray in a similar spirit of resignation to God's will, 
nothing doubting that he will give us whatever tends to his glory and our eternal welfare. One other fault we have in this regard. Beyond all doubt, God will hear us and grant a fulfillment of our petitions if offered up in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ. But the manner and the time of his intervention and help is not designated. It now, If now it happens that our plans do not succeed, our reason, our flesh and blood cause despondency within our hearts, and we are ready to despair. So also when our hopes are not fulfilled in just so many hours or days, in which, according to our calculation, we ought to have relief, we think that our prayer has been in vain. This twofold temptation is dangerous and very apt to weaken our faith. We must therefore cling firmly to God's word and await his help which is promised us in the name of Christ and which will surely come to pass, though perhaps later than we thought and in a different way. God alone knows the proper time and occasion. He is called adjutor in opportunite, a helper in good time. This time, however, we must not attempt to calculate for him according to our own wishes and feelings, but must leave it to his determination and his wisdom and love. We are entirely too impatient, and hence when suffering comes, it will always seem to us that God delays too long with his assistance. Such thoughts are the same as if we would say, We know better than God when the time for help has come. Let us avoid such faithless self-conceit. Let us trust implicitly the promise that God, for the sake of Christ Jesus his Son, will be gracious unto us and deliver us from evil at the proper time. Such is Christian prayer, of which we stand in constant need, as shown above. In it we have true consolation and good cheer, for Christ says, Ask, and ye shall receive, that your joy may be full. Where prayer is wanting, there is no true ha- there no true happiness exists, but always misery, fear, and sorrow. We have had frequent occasion during the past years to experience the efficacy of prayer. Without it, we could not resist the enmity of the Pope and other adversaries. They would long since have wiped us out of existence. But now, because prayer prevails, he and all the tyrants who rage against the church are continually repulsed. Let us, therefore, whose office it is to preach the word, be unwearied in preaching, and let all Christians continue instant in prayer. Then will the church of Christ be well defended by the word and prayer against every enemy. He that loves the church of Christ and desires her prosperity should never forget that he must do his share towards preserving her, This is done by prayer, by the earnest supplication to God that his name may be hallowed, that his kingdom may come, and that his will may be done on earth. We should also pray fervently for the overthrow of the power of the devil, that he may be put to shame, and that his nefarious plans may be frustrated. If we do this, we shall, one and all, stand fully equipped and ready for the defense of the church against the devil and the world. We shall be as the warrior who has his weapons in readiness and takes his position in the front ranks, prepared for every onset. In this regard, every Christian is a warrior who battles constantly against the devil. We, as preachers with our preaching, ye, as hearers, together with us, with your earnest prayer. These two weapons, preaching and prayer, cut the devil to the very quick, and by no other means but these can he be repulsed and vanquished. Besides all this, we know that it is the will of the Father in heaven, that we should freely use these weapons. I have not the slightest doubt that many wicked plans of our adversaries 
and the enemies of the word of God have been frustrated by our prayer. And if now anything which is right is to be accomplished, or if any evil is to be prevented, prayer must do it. Let us then never undervalue the power of prayer, nor suppose ourselves unqualified or too unworthy to make use of it, else no one would dare to pray. Every Christian should be ready to exclaim, Since God delights in our prayer, and since we, the church and the state and all, so greatly need it and are benefited thereby, we will pray with the church and for her as much and as earnestly as we can, for we are convinced that it will not be in vain. It would be wrong and dangerous to think that others may pray, but our prayer is of no account. Let us shun such thoughts and rather say, Thanks be to God, we love Christ and his word, and would sooner give up all things else than to deny our Lord. Therefore it follows that the Father loves us and will hear our prayer, as Christ declares in our text. Nothing shall now hinder us from praying. It will indeed be well for us if we cheerfully pray in the name of Christ and have full faith in his promise. Verily, verily, I say unto you, whatsoever ye shall ask the Father in my name, he will give it you. When Christ further says, These things have I spoken unto you in Proverbs, he does not wish to say that these instructions had been given in dubious and difficult words, for his expressions are definite and clear. But he portrays in these words the condition of the understanding of his disciples. They had as yet no experience in these things, nor did they know what kingdom Christ was establishing. All this was dark before their eyes, and when he spoke of it to them, they understood not his words. But the hour was nigh when this would be changed. He says, The time cometh when I shall speak to you no more in Proverbs, but I shall show you plainly of the Father. When the Holy Spirit comes and fills the hearts with faith and confidence in the mercy and grace of God through Christ, then will follow the desire to engage in prayer, which will be a pleasure. Without the Holy Spirit, it is impossible to pray. Zechariah therefore calls this spirit the spirit of grace and of supplication. Both belong together. God must be recognized through faith as a merciful Father because he gave for us his Son. But this faith is a gift of God bestowed upon us through the Holy Ghost by means of the Gospel. Where this spirit of grace dwells, there is also the spirit of supplication, so that we will implore God for help in suffering and tribulation, firmly believing that he will hear us for the sake of Jesus Christ, his dear Son, and that he will be with us and bless us now and evermore. Referring to this operation of the Holy Spirit, Christ says, At that day ye shall ask in my name, and your prayer will surely be heard. For how could the Father, whom I have revealed unto you, through the Holy Spirit, and whom you know, refuse your requests? He loves you, because you love me and believe that I came out from God. True prayer must spring from such faith and confidence, else it is no prayer even if it be couched in the most beautiful words. May God our Father grant us his Holy Spirit through Christ Jesus that we may pray to him in every time of need and thus worship him in true faith so that we may be freed from all our misery in time and in eternity. Amen. This has been Dr. Martin Luther's sermon on the Gospel text, John 16, verses 23 to 30, preached on Rogate, the fifth Sunday after Easter. 
You're listening to the Luther Sermon Podcast. For more Luther sermons or to find out more information about the podcast, please visit our website at www.hope-aurora.org.